This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. I am your host, Matthew Rushing. I'm just one of the hosts, actually. That's that's all there is to it. Because you all know, with me as he always is, is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you hey, doing? Hey Matthew, doing really well. Uh, got some Christmas lights up, got a Christmas tree put up, and now my house smells like a pine forest, and it's lovely. Uh, I hear ya. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, if it means it rains a lot, uh, (laughs) because we've had so much rain here in the Northwest, uh, we've actually been having problems with, like, sinkholes. Oh, no, that's not good. So it's it's been really, you know, we're used to getting a lot of rain, but, whoo, anyway, that's the weather report, since everybody's (laughs) probably wondering, because we always do that, it seems like, but... More than anything, I'm with you. My Christmas tree is up. It's full of wonderful geekdom. I mean, uh, I put a full album on the Babel Conference with all the pictures of all of my, just my Star Trek ornaments alone. That's just Star Trek. I have many other genres up there as well, so it's great. Nothing better than a geek's Christmas tree, really. I mean, it's, you know, unwrapping those Hallmark keepsake ornaments every year, it's it's a great tradition. I love it. Well, and then the wonderful thing is, is that, of course, I turn uh, my, my tree on and it talks to me, <laughs> you know, because there's all these ornaments that are plugged in that all say things. So like Death Stars are blowing up and Darth Vader's talking to me and Janeway's telling me, you know, Merry Christmas. I've and, got Spock on uh, a shuttlecraft w- wishing me happy holidays. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, but you know what's great about this week is we did have some great news to talk about. I'm really excited. We've got two comics that are going to be wrapping up. In fact, this is the wrap-up podcast. Uh, We're wrapping up Ongoing 52, Star Trek Green Lantern number six, and then we're wrapping up, for now, the Deep Space Nine relaunch with Soul Key. So, wrap-up podcast. Pretty exciting. They've they've all been a long time coming. These have been, well, I mean, the ongoing series, it's only three issues, but... You know, Green Lantern wraps up here, uh, an exciting series. And of course, the Deep Space Nine relaunch, which, you know, you guys have been doing a lot on literary treks since before I came on board. I mean, this has been a huge journey getting from there to here, if I if I may coin a phrase. <laughs> it's been a long road getting from there to here. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just on the ready room uh, recently and we were talking about Enterprise. So 
especially season one where the song's slow and soulful. Nice. So I yeah. knew we'd get you singing again somehow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we wrapped up, let's start with Ongoing 52, and they've been having this three-issue arc with the Mirror Universe, and I think this one is really, really good, and I don't want to give too much away because I feel like people just need to read the resolution to this, But so I kind of wanted to just talk in the generalities. What did you think about this wrap-up? And, and I mean, again, I, I, I just have to say, outright the artwork in here mm-hmm. is awesome the character work is fantastic i mean it looks comic but at the same time every character looks fan- just brilliant so i just i had to praise them on that here here yeah it's one of those uh comics where the artwork looks fantastic everybody looks almost photoreal but at the same time you can tell they haven't just taken still photos of these characters and you know copied them there, you know, there's some really, really unique poses and stuff going on here. Uh, I think <laughs> the one part where the mirror Kirk has the phaser on them and says, uh, hello, did you forget the guy pointing the phaser at you? Just his expression there. Every, like, yeah, the artwork in here is really incredible. It's really, it's a real treat to read. It really is. And uh, not only is it a treat to read, but I think the storyline here is um, really interesting in giving us that introduction to the Mirror Universe here for the JJ-verse. And I love the setup. I love how this ends. I love the way that it leaves us kind of wondering. And I love Kirk facing off against himself, you know, (laughs) Uh, and... Everything here, I think this is just gangbusters awesome Star Trek comics in the JJ verse, and it's the best of you know what they're doing uh, and what they have done in the, in the past, and what I hope to see in the future because this is the kind of storytelling from them that I think really captures the heart of what the JJ verse could be for us. Yeah, agreed completely with that. It's uh. You know, taking these really great ideas from the original Star Trek and putting their own unique twist on them, which is is really refreshing because, uh, you know, it's it's a story that could only, I think, be told with the J.J. universe. They use the strengths of that universe very, very well here. And uh, yeah, nothing but good things to say about this issue for sure. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It. I've loved this whole series that they've done in the Mirror Universe. I'm really looking forward to just kind of seeing where we continue to go in these comics. Um, you know, next year we have the wonderful Starfleet Academy series in the JJ-verse to look forward to. I think that's going to be a ton of fun. So, you know, Star Trek comics are, are going well. Um, and on top of that, you know, like we said earlier, we're wrapping up Star Trek Green Lantern number six which is the end of that storyline, Dan. And, you know, I know for you, you're not knowing a ton about Green Lantern. So how did this end up wrapping up for you, especially with the story point of the fact that we brought Vulcan back (laughs) from the dead? Yeah, they they really actually went in a much different direction with this than I thought they would. Like, I thought it would be... uh, you know, just kind of more of a a mindless horde of, of 
you know, undead Vulcans kind of thing. But they, they really did like work in individuals that you can see in the in this horde here that play upon the emotions of the people involved and stuff. And I thought that was a really interesting choice. Uh, really, really made for some interesting character moments here, uh, especially with Spock, obviously. I'm right there with you. What I loved is that these aren't just zombie-like characters. Mm. It's as if the dead have been brought back to life, but they don't look alive. They kind of look like zombies, but they're actually, they have their, the same characteristics, the mindset and everything, but they're not really alive, you know? Mm. And it made it so much creepier and... You know, I just I I really like the story here and how it's uh, all wrapped up. I think that it it takes the best of of Star Trek and it takes the best of Green Lantern and it puts them together and it really melds well. And I I, I love how they use at the end of this. There's kind of a nice little epilogue and how these Green Lantern characters now exist in the Star Trek universe, the quote-unquote Star Trek universe, you know. So all of that, it was just, mm-hmm. I don't, it's so much fun. And, you know, that's, comics can be great when they're serious and they're talking about something uh, really important, obviously, you know, uh, something like Watchmen. That's on Time's 100 Best Novels of the Last Century. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I love comics when they're also just fun. And I think this series is everything that a crossover should be, especially like when we talked about the Doctor Who crossover. This feels so much in that vein, and I'm glad we're kind of back to that than the Trek apes that we got earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that, you know, the end of this story, it isn't just, oh, that was a weird kind of parallel reality thing that happened, but now we're back to business as usual. It feels like they're actual, I mean, you know, we're we're not going to see Hal Jordan flying around in the next Star Trek movie. I mean, we, we know that, but at the same time, you know, within this little uh, niche area of the Star Trek universe in the comics, you know, it's like, Oh, this actually happened. And this (laughs) carries forward. The green lanterns are now in our universe and security officers now have, uh, personal ring-based phasers and force fields. <laughs> Did that remind you of the uh, the animated series oh, at all totally. with the belts? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yes! I was like, oh my god, that's awesome! But they're ring-based instead of on a belt. That's fantastic! <laughs> yeah, no, my inner nerd was totally going, oh, animated series, that's great. I love it. So, yeah, no, it, it, really, um, it really feels like this is an actual story and they're giving it credibility and giving it kind of weight and that it matters you know even though obviously like i said it's not going to carry over into the other comics or into the other media but it's it's kind of cool that they go to the direction of not just pressing the big reset button like a lot of these crossovers seem to do it was nice to feel like that if they ever wanted to continue this that they had created this little universe that you could go back to Mm. Like you said, that there were consequences for the crossover. That it wasn't just, oh, and now they're back in their own universe and everything's fine. Uh, this really does, in a lot of ways, feel like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting for a Star Trek Green Lantern crossover part two. That'd be pretty cool. I'd be on board. <laughs> yeah, me too. Exactly. I'm, I'm so psyched about this. So, uh, you know, this is, I think, the... The best example of what you get when you do a really good crossover. So uh, I'm hoping 
that as Trek moves forward, that it'll continue to do crossovers like this that really make sense and that are a lot of fun and give us some, just like as, as we did here, just some great things to geek out about, <laughs> you know? Um, that's that's really the best stuff out there. So, uh, well, Dan, before, because we, we don't have any other news or anything, so before we jump into talking about Soul Key, uh, let everybody know uh, the places that they can find us online and uh, where they can communicate with us as well. Absolutely. Well, as you know, Literary Treks is just one of many podcasts on the Trek FM network. Uh, we've got podcasts covering every corner of the Star Trek universe. And as we like to say, beyond with the 602 Club. Uh, you can contact us on the Trek FM website. Uh, we've got a contact form there at trek.fm contact. Uh, you can even leave us a voicemail. If you look at the sidebar on the show page, uh, you'll find a place to leave a voicemail there. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Uh, we have a Twitter handle, of course, at trekfm. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Now, of course, we also have the Babel Conference, which is our listener-only uh, group on Facebook, and you can discuss any aspect of any show that's going on or anything to do with the Star Trek universe, or even general sci-fi. There's a lot of Star Wars stories on there right now, of course, because we all know what's coming up very, very soon here. Uh, so if you just go on Facebook and type in the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, uh, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, of course, with Literary Treks, we're all about books, so if, so we have a Goodreads group as well, uh, and you can find our Goodreads group uh, by going to Goodreads and searching for Literary Treks, and there you'll find our bookshelves with all the books we have previously covered on the show, as well as what we're currently reading, so you can know what's coming up for future shows, and of course, there are always great conversations happening about all the books and comics we talk about here. Well, Dan, uh, goodness, we have finally made it here to the end of the Deep Space Nine relaunch for now <laughs> um, because we have Ascendance coming out. And I'm so glad we've made it uh, to this point because that's going to be the next thing that's coming out and we, we talk about. It. It's going to be huge. And it's going to be really interesting to see how David R. George III wraps this all up because, you know, as I finish this book today – Thinking about where we were left for so long, languishing in the wilderness, as you know, <laughs> Deep Face Nine is known by Bashir in the first episode. God, it's a long time oh, in the wilderness. I mean, <laughs> we are left with something that just whoo, it's it's not good, Dan. Yeah, languishing in the wilderness is really, really the right way to put that here. Um, yeah, it was, I, I think back to getting that final book and by the time I'd read the soul key, I knew that it was kind of that they were putting it on hold, that there was nothing really new coming out for the deep space nine relaunch because of how things had changed behind the scenes and that sort of thing. So, you know, first reading it ages ago was, um, I already went into it kind of sad because I knew it would be the last one for a while. Uh, that was It was helped a little bit this time around, knowing that we're going to, well, we have gotten a bit of the continuation of the story and we're going to get, you know, the rest of it very, very soon. So that was helpful. But yeah, this was a rough spot to be left 
uh, at for quite a while. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely definitely not a good taste to be left with, if that makes sense. It tastes like bitterness. <laughs> like, bitterness and it tastes tears like, of Star Trek fans. It tastes fans. like burning. <laughs> um, well, we are left with the fire in the end, so it really does taste like burning. Um, <laughs> it, it The problem is, is that where this story leaves us is with so many questions, with this massive buildup, and there's absolutely no payoff. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when Deep Space Nine got brought back the first time that we really saw it was this tiny bit in destiny and then of course rough beast of empire and that book shook the deep space nine world to its core with cisco and all of that and it really wasn't kind of resolved until raise the dawn where that all kind of played together in one big trilogy but i mean it was years before we got there Mm -hmm. and then all of these storylines that we'd all been waiting for just never get picked up. We don't really figure it out. And then, of course, when we do pick up Deep Space Nine, everybody's in weird places. You know, Kira's not on the station anymore. She's a Vedic, and Cisco's kind of being a D-word on a, <laughs> the Robinson and things like that. I mean, it's just... Mm-hmm. So this left us in such a quagmire that we never got out of as Deep Space Nine fans, which was so unexpected because the Deep Space Nine relaunch was the bread and butter of everything. Yeah. It's it's really like we got this huge buildup and like all this amazing stuff happened and they were setting something up and it said to be continued. And then the next screen we see is five years later. And what? <laughs> Ex- that's exactly what it feels like. No, you are, it would be like, them saying James Bond will return in and then yeah they pick it up in a completely different spot you know that you're waiting for an actual sequel and what you get is like a whole new adventure as if that other story didn't need resolution <laughs> it, would, it would it would quite literally be like the end of best of both worlds Riker says fire, it fades to black, to be continued, and then we come back and Picard strolls onto the bridge and orders them to their next place. And you're like... Or, or yeah, you didn't get the end, you just got family. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> just like, okay, we're seeing some fallout of what happened, but what happened? <laughs> that Yeah, it... Well, and to get into the novel specifically, I think one of the things that makes this so confusing is there's this really convoluted plot, which it it, it time jumps all the time. Mm-hmm. And what I would have found better is if this story had told itself linearly, because mm-hmm. I think that that would have helped, because... Yes, it kind of goes backwards in time a little bit to kind of set some things up. But if it had just done it in a linear fashion instead of jumping through, it would have been less confusing. Mm -hmm. Because all this time jumping, it just leaves you throwing for a loop, you know. I mean, you read the last book and we talked about the gimmick of the flip book. And... This one, it just felt like all the worst gimmicks just as a writer to use mm. 
really hurt the the storyline. Did you feel like that at all? Definitely, yeah. That that really added to, you know, I I like to think of myself as a pretty good reader and that sort of thing. But yeah, this was at times really hard to follow to kind of figure out. Okay, where are we now? What's going on? Where does this take place? And so you have that jumping around in time, which, you know, can work with the right story, but it's also coupled with this really over the top plot and really complicated plot in its, in its own right. I mean, you, at one point you've got three people who look like Kira chasing each other all over the station. And, you know, when you've already got a story that complicated, you don't need to muddy it up further by, by doing these weird time jumping gimmicks and that sort of thing. Just tell me the story and and ah yeah it just it was a little bit hard to handle sometimes well not only was it hard to handle it it also was confusing too because this is a story that has three quote unquote kiras in it mm-hmm. and obviously kira gamore and iliana and they're all different characters but it can still get kind of confusing in your mind and especially with all the time jumping you're always with another Kira character and you have to kind of put yourself back in the mindset and everything. And so it's just feels like if it had been linear, it wouldn't have been so hard to handle. Mm. Uh, And that's, I think it's just such a frustrating thing because the storyline too, by pulling yourself back in time, do you feel like you really learned all that much with the, the backstory that they gave you because they'd already given you a lot of that backstory. It just felt like it was retelling something that I already knew. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, there are ways of working that into a story to remind the reader of what has come before without, you know, resorting to that and and really pulling you out of the narrative um, repeatedly, really. One thing that also just kind of got to me about this book was like I I had a really hard time taking Gamora and her plot seriously I mean you know we've had you know insane villains before and you know Dukat kind of comes unhinged towards the end of Deep Space Nine and, and that sort of thing but I just I have a really hard time taking seriously a villain who's uh, goal is to kill every iteration of Kira in every parallel universe. I'm just like, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting that. That, you know, you've got someone who's insane, and that's basically all you're battling. It, you know, like it doesn't. I, I don't connect with the villain. I kind of connected with her in the last book a little bit with some of you know what she had gone through. But by this point, I'm just seeing someone who's frothing at the mouth and twirling her non-existent mustache and just being over-the-top, ridiculously insane, villainous. Yeah, I just, I, I'm not buying it and I'm not invested. She's like a classic Bond villain. Yeah, oh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> like the worst ones, you know? Like, I'm thinking view-to-a-kill type Bond villain, just utterly ridiculous yeah, the I ones whose plans will just never work and just are yes, totally over the exactly. top <laughs> no I am so there with you Dan that the, the Bond's villain-esque nature of the villain here is, is really frustrating because 
it doesn't leave you invested in the character the way that you need to be to want to follow her. And especially all this time we spend with her where she's setting up her plot with Tyranitar and all this other jazz. It's just like, I was bored to tears. I was like, get off the freaking screen, basically. You know, let's let's move to the characters I care about. Let's Let's move to continuing the story of Deep Space Nine. And here I'm just learning about this... Uh, awful villain character that, that doesn't do anything for me, and she's really only foiled to get everybody else to move. So I don't care about learning about her. Let's learn about mm. everybody else that I do care about. And that's what we didn't really get that much of. And the, the small parts that we do, like with Cisco and Vaughn at the end, I mean, that kind of stuff, that's the stuff that we're trying to get at. Yeah. But this book only really hints at that, and it's just... It's a cluster mess. Yeah, those are really the parts of the book that I'm enjoying are the the parts with Cisco and Vaughn and, you know, the characters we know and love. And, you know, there are some good character arcs in this story. There are some very good character moments. Uh, you know, a lot of Vaughn's story was very touching. I, I love that character. I really like Elias Vaughn. Um, and of course you know how he kind of relates with Cisco in this here was uh kind of a surprising turn and i thought that was really really good uh but yeah there's there's not enough of that in the story and uh what you know the parts of the story that aren't that just really 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 fall flat for me exactly and and i mean talking about these character arcs when we get to somebody like Cisco and Vaughn they're setting up some really interesting stuff here. You know, there's so much about Cisco that, uh, and and what's coming with the Ascendants, like it's only teased at the end of the book, and it's just okay. I don't know. Uh, I I almost feel like this Mirror Universe story felt more like Worf coming in on Deep Space Nine in season four, and and it created this shift till they could get back to the Dominion story. Mm. That's what this kind of feels like to me. We have been moving towards the Ascendant story, and then you threw in this wrench of this mere universe story, and it's like, this, it doesn't feel necessary, and it's probably because we never get a resolution, but still, even this book, it's just a mess. Mm -hmm. It really just is. Yeah. I am really glad that they, they you know, for the most part, as, as far as the actual plot in this story... I'm really glad that it kind of wrapped up and we didn't, you know, by the end of the book, they're in very different circumstances and something new has has happened. And, you know, now we want to know what happens there. But as far as like the main plot of this book, I'm really glad that's not what we were waiting for for all these years, because I probably wouldn't have cared, to be quite honest. What I also do think is a detriment to this story is that, you know, after Cisco has been brought back, there's still really nothing happening with that character so far. And it's been a lot of books. Mm -hmm. You know, we went through all of the books of the, uh, the worlds of Deep Space Nine and all that stuff. And he's really had very little part in this story. Even in, in Unity, he has very little part. And it, it's just, it feels like such a waste of everything. All As Spock would say, it feels like a waste of material. Mm -hmm. You know, and Cisco's first best destiny is being the emissary and being a Starfleet officer at the same time. And none of this is just making sense or coalescing or anything. So uh, I think by this point of the Deep Space Nine relaunch, 
I, even as a reader and an avid reader and a huge fan, I'm just frustrated in the past. I'm frustrated now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, you know, so much wasted potential, I think, is really what it comes down to. Uh, you know, with Cisco, especially, like you say, but with so much of this book, too, there's just a ton of wasted potential. Um, for example, to me, Tyranitar, like his build up to his betrayal and all this kind of stuff was huge. You know, when he turned on Kira and Roe, uh, and then we got the novel Warpath and we get all this build up of Tyranitar, you know, turning on on the people around him. And then in this story, I don't know, that just seems to kind of wrap up really quickly. It, you know, oh, okay, so he's done with that, I guess. Um, the one thing I do like about his story is uh, the idea of him meeting up with Even Odds crew. Like, that's kind of a cool idea. But just for all the buildup we got, it's just, you know, wasted. It's just thrown up in the air and, oh, okay, well, that's over with now. It, just so much wasted potential here. No, it... it... It really is, and it's frustrating, too, because um, there is some interesting things that happen, especially with the fact that, you know, we get a resolution to Tyrannistar's story, which is really good. I mean, that's the the one thing I feel like in this book that I really like, um, his resolution and where he ends up mm. uh, finally being set free, truly, truly free, is fantastic. And the fact that he answers this call for the even odds and, you know, this ship that kind of keeps turning up in the Deep Space Nine relaunch, um, it's like the Millennium Falcon of Star Trek universe or something. <laughs> uh, it's, I, that's the part that I really liked. And I just wish that this resolution for a little bit of the Deep Space Nine relaunch had paid off more like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the very end of Tyranitar's story, I really like. I like where he ends up, uh, like you said, answering this distress call from the Even Odds crew, basically like, yeah, I got nothing better to do, sure. I thought that was really cool, you know, uh, him finding his place in the universe there, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just, we don't get enough of that. We don't get enough of those kind of things, and we don't get, you know, it doesn't get the kind of attention it deserves and the kind of filling out of that part of the story that it deserves, I think. No, it really doesn't. And that's an unfortunate thing in the storyline. Um, and I feel like that happens to a lot of the characters here. What's forgotten in this storyline is all the important characters from the Prime Universe. And what we're getting is all of this mere universe stuff that... It's just not as important to the Deep Space Nine storyline at this point. We've been building and building and building towards this Ascendance thing. And and uh, again, with having Cisco back, those are all the storylines that I want to see. And I'm wasting, I feel like, kind of two books not getting that stuff. I, I just, I'm not invested in the story. And it's, and it's unfortunate that that's the case. Because, uh, and I realize rereading it how badly this had descended from the heights of where it began mm -hmm. yeah that that's certainly true you know kind of considering the previous arcs that we'd gotten in the ds9 relaunch uh you know this this whole mirror universe 
killing all the cures storyline just really really falls flat for me um you know we've gotten you know the months long journey of discovery in the gamma quadrant aboard the defiant we get the the parasites attempting to take over bajor uh you know even the story near the beginning with bashir and lachan and the and his jemhadar army you know we've gotten some really epic great stories in the deep space nine relaunch and to have gone out on this one, you know, I it, I know it sounds like I'm just really ragging on this story, and I'm trying not to sound like I'm I'm beating a dead horse here, but it was just really really sad to have been left with this at the end, and you know I wonder it it was it was quite a while before we saw Deep Space Nine as a title on a novel for a long time after this. And I really, really wonder how much of that was uh, due to the fact that this story was a disappointment. I don't know. I really don't. I I just, I don't completely know what happened. I know that they had the big shakeup with uh, Michael Palmieri and everything. Um, and so I think that might have been part of it. But yeah, there's just a lot of things that uh, go wrong here with the Deep Space Nine relaunch. And then time isn't helpful with uh, TNG ending and them being ahead and all of that that really messes things up too so it's just frustrating mm-hmm. so uh you know and and it's frustrating too because uh i don't i don't know about you but how would you kind of compare this to what we got and we've talked a little bit about it but how would you compare it to the previous stories like like avatar or the parasite story or any of those how does this you know gamor story and this mere universe story compare to that well, one of the things I thought about was, you know, a lot of these other stories seem to really kind of flow one into the next. And, uh, you know, we kind of got this really cohesive overall narrative. You know, I'm thinking especially during Mission Gamma, where we had what was going on in the Gamma Quadrant at the same time as what was happening politically back on the station in Bajor. But, you know, this story here, like it, it, almost just seems to come right out of left field and and put a wrench in everything and it's like everything kind of just halts and then we get this weird little side story here um and it just it it really feels like a misstep to me uh and i i honestly you know for as much as i enjoyed the deep space nine relaunch coming up to this one i just really found this one really lacking in comparison how about you? How would you say it kind of stacks up? Yeah, I, I think probably that the idea is good. Um, if anybody has been watching the new season of Doctor Who, I'm not going to spoil it for you at all, Dan. <laughs> but I would say the ideas behind some of the things are good, but the execution is what is off. And I think that's what's off here. It's just the execution of what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not a bad call to bring back the mirror universe and maybe make this a multiverse battle between the ascendants and uh with the prophets being outside of space and time all of that's a really cool just talking about it sounds awesome it's the execution here that loses i think people Mm. and that's the frustrating part because you know how you deliver a story is everything and it's just not delivered well and that leads us into where we are now um we're waiting for you know david r george to find a way to pick all these pieces up and try and make sense of them and goodness knows i i don't envy him that situation because this is 
This is an unfortunate mess, mm -hmm. which is strange for when you think about Deep Space Nine and the way the writing went with that show, you don't expect Deep Space Nine to be in this kind of mess. Definitely, yeah. No, I, I would agree with a lot of that for sure. Um, like you say, on paper, this idea sounds really cool, and I think it could have been really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, just the execution of you know the villain and her motives and how this all kind of plays out and just the confusing nature of this book in particular... Um, like I say, I actually really enjoyed the previous book. You know, gimmicky flip book stuff aside, I thought it was a really interesting story and, and uh, you know, a really good exploration of her character. But it just, it just seems to go off in about 10 different directions here and never really resolve itself into something that makes enough sense or rings true enough to me to be uh, an enjoyable end to this story. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Dan. And, you know, what's funny is that even the cover <laughs> alone for this is is lackluster. Right? It just, it looks like a really bad Photoshop mm -hmm. um, cover. It, it, it's just, it's an unfortunate mess all the way around. Yeah, that's definitely true. I remember even when this first came out, you know, people were, were talking about the really bad photoshop cover here and uh you know it's it's kind of it's really unfortunate that we got this kind of you know lackluster story and then on top of it this cover that represents the last chapter in the deep space nine story for quite a long time and and yeah it just all kind of <laughs> isn't very representative of how great deep space nine had been um you know, this is a lot of people talk about the cross cult uh, German language uh, covers they've been doing for, you know, the various books and that sort of thing. And this is one area where I absolutely have to agree. If you've seen the uh, the cross cult image for Soul Key, that is a spectacular piece of art. I think they really knocked that one out of the park. Uh, but the one we get here with this, you know, screen grab of the wormhole with this weird silhouette hand over it uh with the orb fragment it's just it's not it looks thrown together at the last minute um and it it yeah it doesn't it doesn't grab me the way you know a good cover should uh so yeah kind of all across the board just you know not the most uh exciting book inside or out <laughs> It, it's not. Um, it, it's unfortunately not. Well, Dan, you know, talking about it, what would you rate this? Well, you know, those of you who have listened to me talk about books or have read my reviews know that, I, you know, I go pretty easy on on books usually. Uh, it's It's not very often that I'm very, very critical of Star Trek novels and that sort of thing. Uh, this one, however, you know, I'm... <laughs> it's... In a lot of ways, what it represents, kind of the end of the Deep Space Nine relaunch, but more than that, also just the execution of the story, as you've said, just really leaves a lot to be desired. That said, there are a few, like I talked about, some good character moments in the story. I really liked Vaughn's story here. I really like where Tyranitar ends up at the end, even if I feel like some of the payoff hadn't been done very well. Um, before we get to that point. So I think I'm going to have to give this one 
two false emissaries out of five. Uh, it really didn't make that 50% mark for me. So I have to unfortunately give it a bit of a failing grade. Dan, I, I am unfortunately right there with you. I, I don't want to be cruel to any book. And, and obviously, I think anybody who listens to anything that I do knows that I try to be as positive as possible in everything. But, you know, I, I also do have standards and that I want them to be met. And, and I think that Deep Space Nine, the relaunch series, had set standards. You know, it set the standard for what a relaunch sp- series was supposed to be like. And unfortunately, I would say that after Unity, it definitely struggles to continue to live up to those standards. And it doesn't feel like the storyline is as cohesive as it used to be. And this is the worst example of what we got. And it's unfortunate because it was once the, to me, the pinnacle. And we devolved into Soul Key. And from the cover to what's inside, it's just kind of a hot mess. To me, this is two out of five stolen orb fragments. It's it's just... It's not It's not even 50%. It's just unfortunate. So we'll see what uh, David R. George can do with it in Ascendance. Well, Matthew, I think we're both pretty much in agreement about the Soul Key. You know, not the best work we've seen by far out of Star Trek novels and Deep Space Nine in particular. But hope springs eternal. I mean, David R. George, we've got Ascendance coming out uh, at the end of this month. Uh, maybe... We can get the you know phoenix to rise out of the ashes of the soul key here, and and maybe we'll get an amazing conclusion that totally makes us rethink uh, this setup here. But uh, for now, I think we're both agreed this was definitely a bit of a misstep here. Yeah, you know it it happens every once in a while, and uh, you know luckily I don't feel like it happens to us a lot. But we want to be honest with you, the listener, when it does happen. And it's unfortunate. But, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what David R. George III has for us. And we'll see if he's able to pull something out of this. So, um, you know, I, I'm thankful to the associate producers here on Literary Treks who allow us to bring this content to each week. We've got Will Wynn, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatola, and... Bruce Gibson. All of these guys are fantastic. We really appreciate their support through Patreon. Uh, now, like them, you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help bring all of the shows on Trek FM to you each and every week. We have 20 different shows, and of course we have special feeds as well. We're trying to bring you the best content for Star Trek and beyond anywhere online. And it costs a lot to bring a network like this to you. So we do that through the support of listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can help bring this network to each and every person each week. We've got some great perks for you. Our creator, Christopher Jones, just set up a really fun place, patron.zone, and you can get early access to content, exclusive content, and so much more. So just check everything out there at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Dan, when you're not busy trying to figure out which mirror universe version of yourself that you're talking to, where can we find you? (laughs) It gets confusing at times for sure. Uh, You know, 
I can't decide if I'm talking to someone or if I'm just hearing a recording of literary tracks. I don't know what's going on half the time. Uh, but when I'm not in that, you know, mist of confusion, uh, you can find me online. My website is www.treklit.com, and there I review Star Trek novels, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Kertrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram, my username there is Kertrats47. And my Facebook page for my website, facebook.com slash treklitreviews. And of course, you can find me kicking around the Babel Conference talking about all things Star Trek. And Matthew, when you're not flying out of an airlock in the hopes of fulfilling Tracor's first prophecy, where can we find you? Well, goodness, Dan, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I like to snap pictures about it on Instagram at MRushing. You can find me doing the orb with Christopher Jones talking exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, you can find me on the 602 Club talking about all things geeky. It's so much fun. Um, and I really enjoy getting to do that show. So check that out, all the fun things that we do there. And, of course, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.